0: You found a podcast where you'll hear the truth, and we will praise Jesus' name. We stand for the Bible and won't back down from it, although it don't bring much fame. Some folks will like it, some will try to deny it, but God's Word will always stand true. It's been tried in the fire, still. Hello, friends and faithful listeners. It's time for the Pod King Bible Study. I'm your co-host, Donald King, and I'm joined by the host of this study, Brother Donnie King. On this podcast, we study the Bible from its original languages so we can understand the Word of God more clearly. We look at current events and news in light of scriptures, and we also examine some of the things going on within our culture from a biblical perspective. This is Monday, January the 29th, episode number 153. Never a man spake like this man. John said. 741 through 8 and 2. In our last episode, we opened up a topic that many people have never given any thought about. We asked what was seemingly an easy question, but as we tried to answer it, the more complex it became. We examined several scriptures from both testaments and we scrutinized some long-standing ideas. Are they true or false? Is there only one God or many of them? What should we believe? If this intrigues you in the least, come on, tune in and listen to it today. In today's study, we jump right into the middle of the Jews arguing over whether Jesus. Jesus was the Christ or not? There was a huge division among the people because of what he said at the last great day of the feast. They sent officers to get him, but they had never heard a man speak like this one did. We then go behind the scenes into a private meeting with the Sanhedrin, and we begin to see what an effect Jesus had on Nicodemus that night that they met. As we close this episode, we venture into Chapter Eight and see Jesus coming into the temple to teach. As we all know, he is about to get tested again. So come on with. Us today for another interesting study in the Gospel of John. Now for the lesson and the teaching of God's Word, I'll turn it to the host of this podcast, Brother Dinah King.
1: We want to thank you for being here with us as we make a mad dash towards the end of the first month of twenty twenty-four.
0: Yes, sir. We truly appreciate you for joining us today, and please stay and hang out with us through the rest of this year as well. That's right. You
1: never know where we might end up in these studies. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're finally acknowledging that. Thank the Lord. Hey, when you start off on a journey through God's word, you see a lot of little trails that you could take and other things that you can talk about.
0: Yeah, I know. But some people aren't really fond of the rabbit trails preachers go off on at times. Are you accusing me of going down rabbit trails now? You're the one who just admitted this to all of us.
1: Hey, I simply said there are many little trails. Well, what do you think a rabbit trail is? (laughs) Well, I guess it ain't big, is (laughs) it? (laughs) Okay, just forget about that then. There's many avenues one can talk about and consider when talking about God's Word. How about that? Okay, that's better. Only because it sounds a little fancier, I think. (laughs) Oh, wow, now you're saying I talk fancy. I appreciate that compliment for a change.
0: (laughs) I never said you talk fancy, believe me, but I see what you're doing here now. What is that? You're trying to get me to say that never a man spake like this man, huh? No. If you're insinuating that I'm trying to get you to say that about me, you're crazy. <laughs> well, trust me, you don't have to worry about me saying that, so I'm not crazy. <laughs> the
1: Pharisees thought that the officers were crazy when they said that they had never heard any man talk like this man did, though. Well, yeah. Well, since we're already here and our own topic for a change, why don't you just kick us off? Why do I feel like you played this to your advantage today? All right. I'm going to go ahead and read John seven forty one through 47, so everyone will be clued in as to what we're talking about. Others said, This is the Christ, but some said, Shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? Here in verse 41 and 42, some of them was arguing and said, This is the Christ. But others said, No, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Doesn't the scripture say that Christ comes from the seed of David not out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? Before you begin,
0: the audience needs to be reminded where we left off last Monday. Oh, yeah. Well, that does
1: make sense because Jesus had appeared at the great feast. And on that last day of the great feast, he stood up and he cried out for all who were thirsty to come to him and drink. This is exactly what they were expecting the Messiah to do. So this is the crowd arguing about what they feel happened on that day. Yeah, some seem to believe on him while others vehemently disagreed. Yeah, some surmised that Jesus was the prophet that Moses had prophesied about, while there were also some who declared Jesus as the Christ or even the Messiah. Well, this was met with a good bit of resistance
0: for others in the crowd argued against this. Yeah, some quoted scripture affirming that Christ would come from the seed of David and from out of Bethlehem. Well, if you want to get technical, these people who thought Jesus might be the Messiah were not the first to believe that, because the Samaritans
1: did in John 4 and 42. Yeah, that's true, and even in the last chapter, Peter openly declared that to whosoever would listen to him, and that's, I think, verse 69 of chapter 6. There's really something interesting about those who argued against Jesus being the Christ, though. They were interpreting the scriptures correctly, but they were yet wronged in their assumptions. Well, I've seen people do the same thing before. They interpreted verses right, but the way they used them was wrong. That's true. I've seen that happen, and God forbid that I ever have done that. Christ should and did come from Bethlehem, as Micah 5 and 2 stated. We're also told in Matthew 2 and 5, and again in Luke 2 and 4, that he was born in Bethlehem. Let me read those passages for you. Micah 5 and 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Matthew two and five, and they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Luke two and four, and Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. What they didn't know was that he truly did come from Bethlehem. That's exactly right. So let me read verse 43 and 44 again, and let's go further in the conversation. So there was a division among the people because of him, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Boy, it seems like the Prince of Peace sure caused a lot of division, didn't
0: he? (laughs) Yeah. Well, this was a pretty common occurrence in the book of John. For We've seen this already.
1: Yeah, and just for a few reference points, you could go back to the last chapter we were studying, John 6 and verse 52. Right here in this same chapter, we said it happening at chapter 7, verse 12. Go on to chapter 9, you see it in verse 16, and it happens again in John 10, verse 19, and we could go on and on and on. That's just for a few reference points. Jesus Christ is probably the most divisive and polarizing figure who has ever lived on earth. Matter of fact, he's probably the most talked about person as well, probably the most hated person as well, and probably the most loved person, if you want to get technical. As a matter of fact, he ascended to heaven 2,000 years ago, but he's still a divisive figure in our world today.
0: Well, you must either love him and give your life to him or you'll hate him and cry
1: out, give me Barabbas instead. That's true. Well, John doesn't tell us how the people were divided, so we're kind of left to guess how the division fell among them. What do you mean by that? Well, we don't know if the crowd was evenly divided. Say there was a thousand people there. Was there 500 on each side? Was it 550 to 450? We, We don't know if there was more for him, more against him. We're given very little information about it. We do have a small hint provided at the end of verse 44 where it says that some of them would have taken him.
0: Well, John said that no man would lay hands on him, which
1: seemed to imply the greater part of the crowd may have been for Jesus. That makes sense to me as well, because if they were afraid to put their hands on him, I doubt that they had the majority. It seems like they would have tried to do something if 85% of them was against him. Like, hey, there's only a few that's against this. Let's just go ahead. We'll take him right now. So obviously, the majority of the crowd was still looking at him as a good man or a prophet. And so they were afraid to do anything. They debated on taking him by force earlier, if you'll remember back in John 7 and 30, but they didn't do it then at that point either.
0: Yeah, but they weren't just wanting to take him to get something to eat or to only question him.
1: No, no, they weren't. (laughs) That's true. They were not wanting to just take him and talk to him. They were wanting to do away with him. And when it says to take him, they're using the Greek word piazzo, which means to seize, to capture, to arrest, or to take into custody. That tells us exactly what they want to do. They want to lock him away. And among the crowd, there were already some who were ready to put him away, but they were afraid to do anything to him. We'll see in just a matter of days that the feeling of the people will go from just a few against him to the whole crowd being against him, and instead of just putting him away, locking him up, they wanted to completely do away with him. Let's read verse 45 and 46. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto them, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. It's interesting that after we're told that there were some in the crowd who desired to take him, nobody laid their hands on him.
0: The amazing part is that there were some officers who were there to do that
1: very thing. That's right. And the chief priest and the Pharisees had officers that were in the crowd that day with the very intent purpose to do that exact thing. They were there to catch him in something and haul him away. The no man that would lay hands on him must have been speaking of those who were sent to haul him away. In other words, not one of these officers we sent to him would take him away. No man would do anything.
0: Well, these officers were either afraid of either Jesus himself
1: or they were afraid of the crowd. That's true. And it's very probable that they were scared of both. They didn't know what he might could or would do. And they didn't know what the crowd would do. You know, if you got somebody that the crowd likes and you begin to bother them, the crowd can become an angry mob and attack you. Yeah. The Pharisees and the chief priests, they grilled the officers when they came back. Can you imagine what this would have been like? Here they come walking back in, and the Pharisees are waiting for them to see Jesus come being pushed in or shoved in, and here he is, sir. And they walk in, and Jesus isn't there. Yeah. Can you imagine? Why didn't you get him? Why is he not with you? Uh-huh. Where is he at? They simply answered them. Ain't nobody ever spoke like that before. (laughs) Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, it actually says never a man spake like this. What are you, the grammar police today? Hey, the main topic today is about
1: speech. I'm sorry for telling grammar on you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All of this reminds me of Matthew 7 and 29, where the people observed that Jesus taught and spoke with authority, not like the scribes. Hey, would you mind to take a moment and explain why you're making this connection? Well, I guess I will. I I guess I just take it for granted that everybody knows every assumption that I have in my mind. (laughs) When the scribes would speak, they had to quote a known rabbi, or they had to quote from a rabbinic source to give weight to their words. It would be like me taking a big-name preacher or a famous theologian and saying, well, Charles Purgeon says, or Brother So-and-so says, And that would give more weight and authority to their words. They would quote Hillel, they'd quote Shammai, they'd quote Gamaliel and different ones. Jesus is the source because he is the word. He is the divine logos. And since he is the word, who would you expect to speak like him? Well, absolutely no one because there's none like him. That's right. So when he spoke, he didn't quote the local town rabbi at the synagogue. He didn't quote some of the famous rabbis who had been stationed at Jerusalem. He didn't quote anybody from out of Bethlehem. When he spoke, he was speaking the words of God, which has greater weight than anything a rabbi or preacher could ever say. I'm going to read the remainder of this seventh chapter right now. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doeth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. Right here in verses 47, 48, and 49, the Pharisees began to question these officers and they said, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed on him? This people who knows not the law is cursed. Okay, this obviously upset the Pharisees. They were asking these officers if they were deceived by his delusion as well. Can you imagine? Here they are so warped in their beliefs that when these officers come back, they were mocking them for not bringing him. This might seem a little strange to you for them to speak of deception here. For they had already hinted at this earlier in the chapter back in John 7 and 12. Listen to this. And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said, he is a good man. Others said, nay, but he deceiveth the people. They thought that he was one of the biggest deceivers that had ever arisen. Or did they? Were they trying to make it look like he was the deceiver, or did they really feel that he was a deceiver?
0: Well, to the ruling religious crowd, to believe in Jesus was to be deceived.
1: We are not very far from this point here in America today. No, that's true. They further questioned these men after that. Have any of the rulers believed on him? Have any of the Pharisees believed on him? This was asked to them as a rhetorical question, but it strongly implied a negative response. In other words, like, hey, have any of us believed on him? Uh Uh-uh, not a chance.
0: Well, the irony of this is that there was at least one or two rulers or Pharisees that were leaning toward belief in him. That's true.
1: One of them was Nicodemus, and the
0: other was Joseph.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And let me go back and grab a verse and tie it in with this right here. We covered this back in John 3, verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So he was a Pharisee and a ruler. And right here in verses 47, 48, and 49, they're asking the question, have any of the rulers believed on it? Have any of the Pharisees? And right there in their midst was at least one man. And like you said, Joseph was among them. He just wasn't openly serving Jesus or being his disciple. Let me throw this at you. Do you think there's a possibility that they had an idea that Nicodemus or Joseph may have been followers and they were trying to flush them out? Or were they just asking this question? I don't know. To me, it's just something that I wonder because they asked this question with almost complete certainty. There ain't nobody that stupid among us to believe in this deceiver. In verse 50 and 51, Nicodemus saith unto them, he that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doeth our law judge any man before it, hear him, and know what he doeth? Some people fight the idea that Nicodemus finally became a believer and just say that he was probably curious. Well,
0: I don't believe that at all. For Nicodemus to defend Jesus seems to show he had placed
1: some faith in Christ at this point. I know. I agree. But do you know what's even funnier? Before it all ended, there were several of them that ended up believing, according to John 12 and 42. And I believe Acts 6 and 7 even alludes to this. Let me read you those two passages. John 12 and 42. Nevertheless, among the chief rulers, also many believed on him. The chief rulers, many of them believed on him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. They were afraid for their position's sake, to say something about believing in him. But there were several that really did believe in him, but they just couldn't openly say anything. In Acts 6 and 7, the Bible says, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now think about that. These are the priests that were believing in Jesus that just a few years prior to that, it was the priests that had him put to death. To make the matters worse, though, for the Pharisees, these rulers, these Pharisees, they claimed that the people who were believing in Jesus did not know the law.
0: Yeah, but then they took it even further and said that these people were cursed. These were Jewish leaders, and they were calling their own people cursed and claimed
1: that they were ignorant of the law. Yeah, but you know what's hilarious about this? They were the ones who was teaching the people. <laughs> They were the ones teaching the law to the people. And they're saying, these bunch of idiots, they don't know nothing about the law. Well, if the people didn't know the law, it means that they had failed in their duties. It's like one pastor told me years ago. He said, I'm telling you what. He said, I've been here for 11 years. He said, and I've taught them everything I know. And they're still stupid. (laughs) I looked at him. I said, I don't think I'd be telling that around a whole lot. I said, that's more of an implication to you than it is to them. (laughs) You know, I don't guess i would ever thought about that
0: before, but that is just plain funny.
1: (laughs) That's right. Well, they condemn themselves while trying to put the common people down. Their claim of the people being cursed, though, that wasn't a light claim because the Greek word eratos means to be under divine condemnation.
0: Oh, wow. That is a pretty strong word then.
1: Yeah, well, just for an example, Paul used that same word in Galatians chapter 3. He used it in verse 10 and verse 13. I'm going to go there and I'm going to read both of them for you. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Right here in those two verses, we have five references to the word curse. And so every time it's used, it's the Greek word erotos. Because the rulers believed or felt a certain way, they believed that God had to feel the same way.
0: Well, isn't it too easy, though, for us to fall into the same line of thinking? If I don't like it, well, I figure God must not like it either.
1: That's true. I think that's how a lot of people write up their bylaws or discipline books. Yeah. This is the point of crisis where many false beliefs are manufactured, and it still happens that same way today. Well, we know that these rulers
0: and Pharisees were wrong in practice and belief. They ought to tell us that we should do whatever it takes
1: to not fall into the same place they were. That's right. It was at this point that Nicodemus jumped into the fray with the voice of reason and logic, though.
0: Well, I like how he pulled them back to the scripture by asking them, Does our law judge any man before it hears him? And we know what he does.
1: Yeah, Nicodemus is probably citing a couple of different places from the Torah right here. In the Old Testament, I think it may be Exodus 23 and 1, most likely Deuteronomy 1, verse 16 and 17, or Deuteronomy 17 and 6, or even a conglomeration of them. Let me read you these passages. Thou shalt not raise a false report. Put not thine hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Deuteronomy 1 and 16 and 17. And I charged your judges at that time, saying, Hear the causes between your brethren, and judge righteously between every man and his brother, and the stranger that is with him. Ye shall not respect persons in judgment, but ye shall hear the small as well as the great. Ye shall not be afraid of the face of man, for the judgment is God's, and the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me, and I will hear it. Deuteronomy 17 and 6, at the mouth of two witnesses or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness, he shall not be put to death. It had to take a good amount of courage to speak up at a time like this, but Nicodemus did so. He was reminding them, the law says one man can't put somebody to death. The law is telling us that you need to be careful what you do because if we put him to death and he's a righteous man, we have sinned.
0: Well, the other side says this could be argued that Nicodemus was a just man, and he just wanted to say this matter carried out lawfully.
1: That's true, and it could be argued that Nicodemus was already a believer in Christ since he did defend him here. So one of the other. I can't help but believe there might be a little bit of both going on. Nicodemus was a just man. He wanted to do things lawfully, but I also believe it's because he was believing in Jesus. Let me go ahead and read the last two verses again to you, and we'll comment on this. They answered and said unto him, Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee ariseth no prophet, and every man went into his own house. What Nicodemus just said riled these religious men greatly. Yeah, well, when a man knows that he is in the wrong, nothing makes him any matter than when he gets called out on it. Instead of humbling themselves and admitting that
0: Nicodemus
1: is right, they rebuked him. Yeah, ain't that sad? The one guy trying to really do things the right way, and they all mock him and make fun of him. They were just sitting there making fun of the other people, how stupid they were, about how they didn't know nothing about the law, and now they're turning around ridiculing one of their own. There's an old saying says there's no honor among thieves, and I tell you what, if somebody has stabbed somebody in the back, they'll stab anybody in the back. That's right. This is a problem within the religious elite, for they must always be right. When you challenge somebody who's always right, they'll always go into attack mode. They asked Nicodemus, well, ain't you from Galilee too? You better go back and look through the scriptures again. He just quoted them a scripture. And now they're telling him, you better research them scriptures, for there's never going to be a prophet that's supposed to come out of Galilee. But
0: after they said this, every man disbanded and went home. What a way to end a board meeting. You know, I've actually been in a few that ended in a similar fashion. How sad it is for rulers and religious elite to act like children, I guess, rather
1: than men. I know. And that's what's sad that these religious men who were supposed to be fighting for the law and doing what's right, they were willing to go against the law to try Jesus in an unjust manner. They were willing to argue with Nicodemus. They were willing to make fun of their own people they were ruling over. How would you like to know that your pastor was mocking you and making fun of how stupid you were? Wouldn't that really make you feel good? Oh, yeah. These are the people teaching them. And here they are mocking them and everybody else that gets in their way. Well, you know, this proves that some people are only religious when it benefits them. It should be obvious that that's not the way that we're supposed to be. That's right. It's a shame because it's so easy to fall into that same trap that we begin to think we're so righteous because we're living good, we're living right, we're living holy, and look at them over there. And here it is. They're looking at other people who are supposed to be right, and they're saying they're not as right as we are. That's the danger that we can fall into if we're not careful. I want to go ahead and read the first two verses of chapter 8 now because they're connected to what we're talking about right here. John 8 and 1 and 2. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. As we enter chapter 8, John brings the focus back to Christ. He tells us that Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. Now, what's that got to do with anything? Just bear with me. John states that this was the day after the feast that living water was offered to whosoever will. Well, where would Jesus have been that was
0: close to the temple for this interaction to take place?
1: The only area that I know of that would qualify for that would be the women's court, which was also known as the Gentiles' court. This was the outer court, and it had really no limitations of who could come to it. Farther inside, if you were to go inside, was the holy place where only the righteous men could come and there offer their sacrifices and come before God in that manner up unto the veil. Then a little farther behind the veil was the chamber known as the Holy of Holies. This was where only the high priest could go in, and that was only one time a year. The
0: closer one went into the presence of God, the holier he had to be. Wow, that's a preaching point right there. (laughs) And not only that. But the access was even more limited. This tells us still yet today that the closer you want to get to God's presence, more
1: holiness will be required. That's right. If you want to get in God's presence, you're not going to come as you are. Like the saying is real famous. People that say, well, just come as you are. I understand what they're saying. But in the Old Testament, if they'd have came just however they were, they'd have been turned back and said, you can't come in. You cannot enter this holy place without being made holy. The good thing is, is Christ is the holy place, and we come as we are to him, but you don't leave like you came. Amen. I believe it was most certainly, though, at the outer court where all of this would have been taking place, and John had just shared with us some of the arguments that the religious leaders were having about Jesus at the end of chapter 7. Then he tells us at the beginning of 8 what Jesus is doing. It seems like if Jesus knew anything about what they were thinking or saying, he would have made himself scarce, right? Wrong, Because he came to the temple again
0: early the next morning. Not only did he enter the temple early, but John says all the people came into him.
1: Yeah, and I doubt I need to point this out, but I will just in case somebody misinterprets this. This doesn't mean that everyone on the face of the earth showed up that day. I know it says all the people came to him. I don't believe that it means everyone in the world came to him. And I don't even think it means that everyone in Jerusalem area came to temple that morning. I believe it simply means that everyone who was there or nearby came unto him to hear him teach.
0: And that's exactly what he did. And he sat down and began to teach them. (laughs) Did these people know that Jesus was going to be here this morning?
1: You know, that's a difficult question to answer in one sense, because there's nothing that gives any idea that he was going to be there. It isn't like it says in Jesus told everyone, meet me here in the morning at eight and I'll teach. It, It doesn't say nothing like that. But this setting is described similar to something that said in Luke 21, verse 37 and 38. Let me read that to you. And in the daytime, he was teaching in the temple. And at night, he went out and abode in the mount that is called the Mount of Olives. And all of the people came early in the morning to him in the temple for to hear him. Jesus spent his days in the temple teaching. And then he spent his nights alone with his father in prayer at the Mount of Olives. Wow. What an itinerary to have. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Matthew 26 and 55, Jesus even mentioned his practice of teaching daily in the temple when they come to get him. So it was common knowledge. It wasn't that he had to put signs up and have billboards out, but they knew daily he was coming to the temple to teach. The people would then come early in the morning to hear
0: him teach. How many people do you reckon would come to church early in the morning to hear good
1: biblical teaching?
0: Why, some people skip the teaching on Sunday mornings and come at 11 for worship service.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very sad thing, but it shows us where we are spiritually. Yeah.
0: What I'd like to know is this. How well can a person worship God who refuses to learn from his word? That's a good question. If you'll not come and be taught
1: about God, how much worship can you offer to God? You've just expressed my own personal feelings to a T. If you don't love God's word, according to John 1, he is the word, then you don't love Christ. True.
0: All right, Brother Donnie, I think this lesson was eye-opening today, and we do have a question on this segment. All right, this is a good part of it. Okay, here we go. Why did God stretch creation out
1: over the space of six days? Well, that's a good question. And I've had people ask me before, why didn't he do it in one day? Why didn't he do it in 10 days, 12 days? All right. One of the main reasons is that God is God and God decides to do whatever he wants to do. Amen. <laughs> I know that sounds like a cop out, but you know, in all reality, only God knows why he did what he did in six days. All right. He can decide to do whatever he pleases. He does it however he pleases. I have wondered before, why did he create the earth and then this and then create this and create that? And why did he wait till like the third day to do this and the fifth of day he's doing this over here? I don't understand altogether why. I think that when you look at it, you can get some good assumptions, but we may never know the exact reason. We may never know the full purpose behind it, but I do believe that there's at least a couple things that we can gather from this. I strongly lean to the fact that he waited till the sixth day to create man because the number of man is six. I actually believe that the number of man is six because he was created on the sixth day. So when God created man on that sixth day, the number of man became the number six. I believe that he did this with the full knowledge of doing it for that purpose. Man was the climactic point of the creation. Creation was done by God for man. Now, A lot of people would debate that point. I've heard people say, oh, no, creation was for God. I understand everything that was made was made by him and for him. I I know what the Bible's saying, but I also believe that much of the creation that was created was simply for man. Does God use the trees? You could say, yeah, in a technical sense, but yet it's the trees and the grass and all of the things that God put here of the greenery that produces oxygen in the air that man can live by. Does God need oxygen to live? God's a spirit. Let me ask you this. Do you believe God created the rivers, the lakes, the mountains, and the Grand Canyon for elephants? No. Do you believe that God created the sun, the moon, and the stars for the ostriches to see and glorify him? (laughs) No. Did God do all of these things for the fish in the sea? Well, there's fish that will never see the sights that you and I have seen. There's ostriches that have seen some of the glories of God, but not what you and I have seen. They'll never have the understanding that you and I have of these things and how they work. The elephants, they may see the rivers and lakes and mountains. You might even load one up and take it to the Grand Canyon, for goodness sakes. But it wasn't created for the elephant to look at and say, well, I'll be. That's glorious. All right. What it was created for was for man to behold and say, there must be a God. There is a God. I believe he did all of these things for man. And man is God's greatest creation. Now, I'm not trying to elevate man above his position or try to make us look like we're greater than what we are. But what I am saying is that God saved the best of his creation for that last. You know why? Because man is made in the image of God. An animal was not made in God's image. A tree wasn't made in God's image. That stream wasn't made in God's image. He made man in his own image. And so now we have a certain quality of, of the creator within us. It's part of us. And he saved that for day six. Why he waited till day six? I don't know. He could have done everything he did in one second rather than six days. He could have spread it out over a thousand years, but he did it in six days. Whatever the reason and whatever the purpose, he did it for a direct purpose. And I believe that in some part of it, it was done in order to show man how much God loves him and how much God desires relationship with him. Because scientists even say that if one little bit of hydrogen or one little bit of oxygen was different, if there was more nitrogen here and there was more of this there, there would not be enough air to breathe. The atmosphere would collapse or it would literally blow up like a bomb. So could I tell you that God's got it regulated perfectly for man to be able to live here? And that's why he created everything was for man to be able to enjoy in the presence of his God and give God the glory for what he did. This is why I say God wants us to see how much he loves us and desires relationship with us. That's why he sent Jesus so he could live here on this earth as a man and be able to show people how they ought to live and point them to heaven.
0: Amen. Good answer, Brother Donnie. Remember, friends, if you have a Bible question or a question regarding how news or current events or things going on in our culture are connected to Scripture, drop us an email at DKMinistries1977 at yahoo.com. That is DKMinistries1977 at yahoo.com. We hope you've enjoyed this episode today, sharing God's Word. But until next time, may God bless you
1: all shouldn't come back Friday, February the 2nd, Groundhog's Day, for special edition number 119, Imagers, Watchers, and Sunship. This I know.
0: Really changed my heart all around. Put my feet back on the ground, got along. Now for heaven I want to go. I want to go. I want to go. To that land where the milk and honey flow. Oh, I've heard of such a place, I can't go there by God's grace. Never seen it, but I know I want to go.